Well, good morning. God is good. And all the time. You guys hear that rain and thunder? All right. Well, that doesn't mean go to sleep just yet, okay? Uh, we're glad that you chose to worship with us today. I know we have a lot uh, that came the first service. Some of you here in the second service. Of course, we have some online as well. So uh, make sure, if, again, if you're online, let us know where you're watching from and uh, make sure that you uh, share. So even if you're in the building today, you want to grab your phone out real quick and share the feed. It'll allow other people to, to watch and to hear from the Lord today. So we're glad that you chose to be here today. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, if you're not familiar, it's the last book in the Bible, so should be fairly easy to find today, Revelation chapter number uh, 2. And so as we've said, happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there online or here in the buildings today. And we are in our third week this morning of this series entitled, The Church is Essential. The Church is Essential. And we understand as we read through Scripture that the church, in fact, is essential because Jesus is essential. The question we have to wrestle with, is the church effective? It is essential, but are we effective? And so what we learned last week, we walked through Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we understand that John was exiled on the island of Patmos because he was preaching the gospel, and they didn't want him to. He was persecuted and sent out to the island. While he's on the island, he's worshiping the Lord. It says he was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day. And the Lord came to him and gave him a vision. And what he told John is, I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to give you what the word revelation means. The Greek word is apocalypsis, which means an unveiling. I'm going to unveil to you the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not just a book about events. It's a, per, it's a book about the person of Jesus Christ. It's a new picture of who Jesus is. And so the picture that we saw in chapter 1 was Jesus, uh, the church was, there were seven lampstands, a circle of seven lampstands. In the midst of those lampstands was Jesus. That's the picture John gets. The lampstands represent the church. And it's specifically talking to seven churches. So as we walk through the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we're going to really just look at seven letters. There's seven letters to seven specific churches. These seven churches, though, also would, would bring application to us today. And so Jesus is in the midst of the seven churches. Remember last week we talked about that those uh, lampstands would be lit. There's fire. The fire represents the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And, and kind of, I guess, the, the biggest takeaway statement for me personally last week was sin in my life condemned the glory of God in his church. Sin in my life condemned the glory of God in his church. And what a responsibility is for me as an individual, for you as an individual, to take care of the sin in your life so that the glory of God would not be hindered or dimmed in his church. So Revelation chapter 2, this is the first letter we're going to read. It's a letter to the church at Ephesus. If you remember, we just came out of the series Overcomer, which was mostly out of Ephesians chapter 6. That book, Ephesians 6, was written, guess what, to the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote that letter. Now we're going to read a letter John wrote to the same church, the church at Ephesus. So reading in verse number 1, Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your works. 
your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from this tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So I want to just stop for a moment on verse number 7. You see on the screen here that underlined phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The reason this is underlined is because, again, there's seven letters. At the close of each one of these seven letters, you're going to see this statement. It's understanding here what, what Jesus is saying through the letter that John is writing. Is, Listen up, church. Listen to me. And so I want you to understand that as we come into the house of God this morning and we hear, we, we want to hear not what Pastor John has to say. We want to hear what does God have to say today? We want to hear from God. That's why when we, when we get in here and gather is we want to open up the Word of God and we want, to, we want to hear from God. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you don't do a very good job of listening. Okay? Sometimes we are very distracted. Maybe you're on the couch today watching at home and, and you're trying to watch the TV, but you're like me, you got your phone out and you're really distracted or or maybe even in the building today, you're kind of wondering, why isn't that screen on? And why is this happening? And I'm hearing rain. I mean, all these things that could be distracting us. And so what I want us to do this morning before we unpack this text is just to kind of pause for a moment and make a decision. What he's saying here, he who has an ear, let him hear. So what I want you to do, if you're online this morning, is that I just want you to type these three words, God. I'm listening. And it's just a statement for you this morning at home to say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna to put away distractions, whatever that distraction might be. God, I'm listening. For those of us in the building this morning, I, I want us to say that out loud together. All right? Shake your head. You're good with me. You're following. You're tracking with me. All right? So it's right here on the screen. It's really easy. On the count of three, let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. God, I'm listening. Would you pray with me? And as I pray, I'm asking you to pray that same thought. God, you have me here for a reason, and I'm listening. Lord, we ask today that as we look into this letter, that whether we're online, whether we're traveling, whether we're in the building, Lord, that right now as, as, as we walk through this text, we're posturing ourselves to hear from you. And that, Lord, as you reveal in, in our life what needs to change, that we would be willing to make those changes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And Josh Smith, we, as we read this letter, Josh Smith kind of unpacks. You, what you understand, what you see as you read and we read and you hear that is that uh, what, what Jesus is saying through John to the church is, hey, church, you are doing a good job. Now, how many of you like to hear somebody say, you did a good job, or I'm proud of you, and all those things? Now, my, my love language is words of affirmation. 
So if you want to get on my good side or make me feel good, just tell me how awesome I am, all right? So that would be greatly appreciated. And that's kind of what's taking place. There's like nine different admonitions or nine different attaboy to the church. Like you are doing a good job. And Josh Smith break this down into three categories. So let's just kind of walk through this real quick. Three categories that fall on the umbrellas, if you would, about like good job. The first one is they are hardworking. So what he says is, church, I'm proud of you. You're working hard. You're doing what I've asked you to do. And, and you could unpack all those things that they're doing as a church that we as a church should also be doing. Now, understand the church at, at Ephesus understood what it meant to work for the Lord and what it meant, uh, you know, why we work for the Lord. That we work because we're saved. We don't work so we can be saved. And they would have known that because this is what Paul wrote to them in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. He said, remember, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But then look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus, and we are created for good works. We are saved for good works. We are not saved by our good works, okay? And so we understand which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the church at Ephesus knew this. They knew that because grace had come to them, they were saved by grace through faith, that they were working, they were doing a good job because of their faith, not for their faith, all right? They, this word labor, you're going to see a few different times in this text, and this word labor Every woman in the room understands what that means more than us men do. But it's this idea of working to the point of exhaustion. I'm, I, and so God is saying, through Jesus is saying, through John, hey, church at Ephesus, good job. You're working hard. You're doing everything you can to, to get the gospel out, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. So you're hardworking. The second one here is you're a persevering church. In verse 2 and 3, it says they're patient. Enduring, it says you've preserved, uh, preserved, uh, persevered even in patience. You have labored for my name's sake. You have not become weary. They're a hardworking church. They're a persevering church. And I think to understand what it meant for this church to be persevering, we'd have to a little bit under the, the stand the context. So in Ephesus, this city was known for idolatry, immorality, and all kinds of wickedness. It was sin city. And so as people are giving their life to Christ, now they're understanding that that lifestyle is contradictory to what Christians should be living and how Christians should act. And so it had a huge ramifications on them personally. And so the, this church was under severe spiritual persecution. They were under severe physical persecution. They were even under social persecution. Because their decisions to follow Jesus may have cost them their jobs. It may have cost them their families. And what God is saying is keep going. Keep persevering. I'm proud of you. You're working hard. You're persevering. And then the third one is that you are doctrinally sound. Verse 2 talks about it. That those who said they are of God, that they are apostles of Jesus, you've tested them. You've, you've looked against scriptures as the Bereans did, and you've realized they're liars. They're not of Jesus. They're doctrinally sound. And then again in verse 6, it talks about that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And uh, later in one of the other letters, we'll talk a little more about this, but this is just false prophets. And so God is saying, good job, church. You're staying true to doctrine. And how important it is for us as a church to stay true to doctrine in our current culture. 
And that's what we have to understand. There is absolute truth. There is a moral standard. It's God's word. God has given us his word so that we can know how to live. Can you say amen to that? And so we're doctrinally sound. And when I think about these three things, they're a hardworking church, they're a persevering church, they're doctrinally sound church, and, and I compare these three things, these three categories to Hallmark Baptist Church, I say, hey, that's us. God, God has brought people before us that have allowed us to be a hardworking, persevering, and doctrinally sound church. And, and, and wouldn't you agree that, that that's what this church represents? But we, before we get too excited about it, Look at verse number four, because it turns. In verse number four, it says, nevertheless, or however, or hold on, wait a second. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This idea of left your first love, the idea left here, another word that we could interchange with that, that you have abandoned, that you have forsaken, that you have divorced your first love love. We have to understand that, yes, God wants our work. God wants us to persevere. God wants us to be sound doctrinally, but God also wants our affection. God is more interested in our affection than our activity, and God sees our heart, and God understands our heart, and, and so we understand 1 Corinthians 13, right? So if, you, if you've been married recently, or if I married you, you probably heard me read 1 Corinthians 13, because it's known as the, anybody know? love chapter. And the, the second half of the 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love is, that it's selfless. It's not puffed up. It does not brag. It does not seek its own. All these things. But let's take a second to look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And what my fear is, is that the church has become a clanging, sounding noise. Maybe doctrinally sound, but do we have love? Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove the mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. And so the church, we could say, yes, we're doctrinally sound. Yes, we're persevering. Yes, we're hardworking. But Jesus is asking the question then, but do you love me? Because if we're just playing church, it's not worth it. It's of no value. It's just noise. Josh Smith said it this way, the visibility of our outward actions are in vain if they are void of inward affections. The visibility of your outward actions are in vain if they are void of your inward affection. God is interested in your love, your heart. Let, let me just see if I can maybe apply this personally for us. When I think about it, if, if I were to go home this, this afternoon and, and give my wife a dozen roses, for one, she'd probably be a little shocked, uh, but... She would be very appreciative of the gift that I gave to her. And if she said, thank you so much for my roses, and I said, uh, it's, it's my duty, I'm your husband. It would not go well for me. Or today's Father's Day, and dads, those of you who have little kids, maybe your, 
just ready to be done with the day this evening and you're ready to just kind of sit back in your chair and your kids say, Dad, can you read me a book before I go to bed? And as much as you don't want to do it, you get up and you go and pick the shortest book, maybe even a picture book, and, and you read to your kid and the kid says, thank you, Dad, for reading me the book. And you simply say, it's Father's Day, I kind of had to. Or what for me as a pastor, I go to the hospital and visit someone and they're very appreciative. Thank you, pastor, for coming and seeing me. It's like, well, I have a moral obligation to show up. I'm the pastor. It's funny, or is it? Because I think that's the way we treat the Lord sometimes. I'm going to show up because I have to. So it's not enough just to check the list off. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants to know that you love him. I, I love this statement, and it's a little bit confusing, so you're going to have to process. God desires for you to desire him the way he desires you. God desires for you to desire him the way he desires you, and it's the same for all of us in all our relationships. My wife doesn't want me to just give her roses, she wants me to want to give her roses. My kids don't want me just to read a book, they want me to want to read the book. People who I go visit in the hospital don't want me just to show up, they want me to want to show up. It shows that I love them, that I value them, and that's the way that God is with us. He doesn't just want our actions, he just doesn't want our activity, he wants our affection. You understand what the scripture says, we love him because what? He first loved us. I stumbled along this verse this week, and, and I'll be honest, I don't remember ever really focusing on this verse, but look at Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It's going to be on the screen. I've kind of broken up the verse into three statements. The first part of the verse says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. And then the first part here says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. And as these kids were up here, these newborn, precious little babies, I started thinking about when my kids were that little. And quiet sometimes. You remember parents, though? And they were laying in the crib. And what could they do for you that brought any value to you? Absolutely nothing. Do you remember hovering over the crib and just rejoicing over them with gladness? That's the picture here of this God looking at us, his children, what value do we really bring to the Lord? None. But he looks over at us as a father to his child and says, I rejoice over you with gladness. What a picture of God's love for us. The second part of that verse goes on uh, then to say that he will quiet you with his love. You know what that's like, right, as a parent. Sometimes it's the, only the mom that can get in the quiet. Sometimes it's only the dad who can get him quiet. But that picture of this child that's needing love, you pick him up, you cradle him. And I think of this verse, he will quiet you with his love. I don't think that we often enough think about how much God loves us. We don't see God as a father who carefully cuddles his child. 
the second or the third part of that verse and talks about that he will rejoice over you with singing. You, you ever think about that this morning as we sing, Christ is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus that at the same time as we are singing praises to the Lord, what this scripture says is that God was doing what at the very same time? He was singing right back to us. He was rejoicing over hearing his children sing praises to his son, and he celebrated. He rejoiced with singing. God is calling us, God is pursuing us into an intimate relationship with him. And so as we acknowledge, yeah, we're hardworking, we're persevering, we're doctrinally sound, go church. We have to ask ourselves the question, what Jesus is asking us this morning. Remember, we made the statement, God, I'm listening. Here's what he's asking. Do you love me? And if we come to the conclusion that maybe we don't, maybe we are doing things out of responsibility, not out of love, what, what, what should we do? How should we respond? Look at verse number five. There's three things. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. The first idea here is just to remember to remember, you remember what it was like when you gave your life to Christ? You remember when you first made the decision that you could not get to heaven on your own? It's not about church. It's not about attendance. It's not about how much you give. It's, none, it's about none of those things. It's acknowledging that I can never be good enough to get to Jesus. But Jesus died in my place. He took my, he didn't just die for me. He died because of me. You remember what it was like when you finally realized, and we talked about in Ephesians, the first half of the book talks about we were once orphaned, but God adopted us into his family. We were once far off, but God brought us near. We were once dead, but he made us alive. You remember what it was like when you first experienced the love of Jesus? You know, if it's been so long ago, can I give you some advice? The best way to remember what that felt like the best way to go back into your mind and remember the emotion that you experienced at the moment you realized Jesus loved me. The best way for you to do that is to lead someone else to Jesus. You will see through their eyes a fresh, a newness, a love that you forgot you had. I think one of the reasons we do things out of duty and not out of love is because we, we just fail to remember what it was like when we first met Jesus. We want to remember the second thing is we want to repent. This leads us to the understanding that if I, I, I don't love Christ as much as I used to, if, if I'm not really engaged in loving Christ in, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, if, if that's true, then what's the proper response is I need to repent, which means it's a sin. And repent simply means that I'm going to take a 180. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say, you know what, I haven't been pursuing Jesus but I'm going to. I'm going to repent. God, I'm sorry. So as we ask the question and we make the statement today, God, I'm listening, and Jesus is asking, do you love me? If we come to the conclusion that maybe there was a time in our life that we loved Jesus more than we do now, we need to repent. Turn around and pursue him again. I want to repent. The third thing that I want to do in this text, it just says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. 
And I'm just going to make it easy for you. So we'll get another R word. We're going to respond. We're going to remember. We're going to repent. And we're going to respond. What, what does that mean? It means I'm going to do everything I can to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Here's a great question for you in your self-reflection today. Does God get the best of me or the rest of me? Does God get the best of me or the rest of me? And the answer to that will probably reveal if you've left your first love. You see, we, we all have passions. We all desire something. Here's what Josh Smith says. Our greatest passion should be reserved for, what? for that which has the greatest value. Think about that. Our greatest passion should be reserved for that which has the greatest value. If I were to spend a month with you, or if I were to go back and look this last month on your social media or even your finances, it would reveal to me what you are most passionate about. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want first place. I want to be your greatest passion. He asked the question, do you love me? What's the consequence of a church playing church and not loving Jesus? Look at the text, verse 5. Remember, repent, do the works, or else. Parents, you know that word right. You know it well, don't you? Or else. Clean your room or else. What's the consequence? I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you Repent. Remember what the lampstands represent? The, fi the fire of the lampstand represents the glory and the presence and the power of God. And what Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus, if you're just going to play church and you're not truly going to, if I don't have your heart, if you don't truly love me, then I'm going to remove the power and the presence of Jesus from your midst. Is it possible then that as a church that we could come in here on a Sunday morning and play church and Jesus never be here? Because the reality is everything that we've done so far this morning, we could do without Jesus' presence. And that should scare you to death. Everything I do as a Christian, I could do without the presence of Jesus in my life. And I don't want that to be me. I don't want to show up to church and play church. I want the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus to be in the midst of us. Is that what you want as a church? Let's think about that statement we made last week. Sin in my life condemned the glory of God in his church. If that statement is also true, we realize in chapter 1, then this first seven verses of chapter 2 would also make this statement. A lack of love in my heart can prevent the presence of God in his church. There's ownership, people, for us as individuals. My going through the motions, my Jesus checklist, or does Jesus have my heart? We display the glory of God best by loving him most. We display the glory of God best by loving him most. I pray that as a church, I pray that me as an individual 
that I will passionately pursue the presence of Jesus. That I will passionately pursue his power in my life. And that I won't just be about activity, but I will truly love Christ. Remember, repent, and respond. I'm going to ask the band to come, and I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity maybe even to repent today. I want to give you an opportunity to to really self-evaluate. And and so I want to ask you this morning online or here in person today, we talked about public confession last week, how important it is that we, we confess to the Lord for forgiveness of sins, but we confess to one another that there may be healing in our life. We started off the service, remembered, making the statement, God, I'm listening. The question God is asking, do you love me? Would you, this morning, in a moment of transparency and honesty, in a moment of confession, just say, John, the question, do you love me? I'm not sure I can answer that really good right now. I'm afraid my heart's not in the right place. If you would like to confess that today and admit that to the Lord today, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up. Everybody's eyes are closed. It's just, Lord, I want to love you more. I want to pursue you more. God, there's other things that have grabbed my passions, my heart, my activity. God, I want to pursue you with everything I have. Just put your hand up. Lord, as we come to you, Lord, we are raising our hands, and I have my hand raised, Lord, because, Lord, it's easy for me to pursue other passions. And God, I confess today, Lord, that, that oftentimes I'm not pursuing you. Lord, help me to love you with all of my heart. Lord, I do not want to be the reason that your presence is not in our midst. I do not want to be the reason that your glory is not displayed in our community. Forgive me, Lord. Help me pursue you. You know, this morning, you you can look up this morning. This morning, we're going to end the service with a song. And what this song is... I hope what this song will allow you to do is to remember how much Jesus loves you. The the words on the screen here are really the gospel. The words tell us that Jesus died on a cross to reconcile us with God, our creator. You see, the Bible teaches us that because of sin in our life, that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. And because of sin in our life, we are separated from God, our creator. But Jesus came and he died on a cross so that he could reconcile us. Reconcile simply means to make us friends again, to restore the relationship. And so Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin debt so that I could be reconciled to God, my creator. He did all the work. Remember we read in Ephesians 2, for by grace you're saved. It's through faith. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you've never received the gospel into your life, you've never admitted that all of sin, all means me.
never place your faith, the Bible says if we believe in Jesus, we can have eternal life. We can have a relationship. We can be reconciled. And it says if we confess, if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. Look at the words. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. That's what Jesus did for you. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for my sake, if you've never given your life to Christ, can I just encourage you, challenge you? Do it right now. You're on, on the couch watching at home. It's simple. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died for you. And confess that Jesus is Lord. If you're in the room this morning, it's the same thing. Admit, believe, and confess. I would ask you to stand with me this morning. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to, to worship you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, as we, as we sing this song, would you continue to convict us, continue to ask us this question, do you really love me? And God, I pray that we would repent respond. And Lord, I pray if someone in here online or in the room today has never given their life to Jesus, that they would right now, that you would convict them of their need to just admit and to believe and to confess and to, to surrender their life to you. And Lord, as we close this service, we just want to worship the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's his name we pray.